Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. We're kicking off 2020 with a musician and songwriter that embodies so much of what this show is about. It only seems right that we start this episode by officially saying a sincere Happy New Year. We don't have any long look back planned for you, just getting right down to more of what we all love, the interviews and performances. But we would be remiss not to take a moment to say thank you for listening in 2019. Our first year was so much more than we could have hoped for. We released 23 episodes, won a Best of the Bay Critics' Choice Award, and you brought us over 30,000 listens between streaming and syndication. In 2020, we're going to do everything we can to bring you more sincere, thoughtful, and unique interviews, performances, and perspectives with songwriters and musicians that are nationally relevant, but always through a lens that weaves their impact or influence into the music scene and community here in our hometown. And if we've done our jobs, hopefully in your hometown too. A new year means an awesome list of new shows and tours to go see. Nathaniel Ratliff has a new record out and is touring on it. Lyle Lovett, Andrew Bird, Brittany Howard are all out on the road. If you're local, we love our venues and always recommend following Ruth Eckert Hall for some of the finest acts that will come through our local market. And we have a fun string of guests lined up for this year that we're really excited about. Your host, Truly, will be out on the road and releasing new music this year, too. Ed has some solo stuff in the works that is so painfully good that I now hate him. And you'll see some shows, music, and other stuff fun coming from Mercy McCoy this year. You know who else is putting out new music? Hey everybody, this is Brian Sutherland. You said I'm not the kind to keep your interest As you're walking away in that dress You said you can't keep up with me Every year, songwriters' festivals are happening all over the world, with a critical mass happening here in the U.S. These are the Dripping Springs of Austin, and the 30A Songwriters Fest happening next weekend in Florida's Panhandle. These are meant to be different from a traditional music fest in that they focus on storytelling, and they attempt to create an environment for the focus to be on the song. The fall of 2019 in our market brought us the first official downtown St. Petersburg Songwriters Fest. The weekend was full of local and national songwriters showcasing their storytelling. We saw previous song divers guests like Nashville's Lydia Luce and St. Pete's Rebecca Pulley, and we saw a lot of other notable writers that we'll likely see on the show in the coming months. Brian Sutherland is every bit of what song divers is about. The guy is a musical Swiss army knife. Brian is a trained cellist, turned guitarist, turned band leader from Florida, now residing in Nashville. And he spent time on tour playing alongside some really notable acts, including the Beach Boys. His resume is impressive, but it doesn't prepare you for the knock-your-socks-off songwriting that Brian is cranking out. I got to spend some time with Brian throughout the weekend prior to us sitting down with him, and they don't come better, more natural, or more fun than a guy like him. When we recorded this episode, Brian had just finished his last slot at the Songwriters Fest here in town, as well as a private gig over that weekend, and he filled in for a festival no-show. To say his voice was raw would be a bit of an understatement, yet it's all the better for it. 
Brian was full of feeling, emotion, and conviction, and we wouldn't have had him tell us his story any other way. Divers, meet Brian Sutherland. Brian, we usually start everybody. Tell us about where you're from, man. Where'd you grow up? I was born in Fort Myers, Florida. I grew up in Fort Myers. Um, I left there in 2007 um, when I graduated high school, and I ended up in Lakeland, Florida, at Florida Southern College. Um, studying cello. I was there for four years, four and a half years in college. Um, I ended up meeting my wife there. We ended up staying in uh, Lakeland um, until 2017, and I moved. Uh, we both moved to Nashville in 2017, right after Hurricane Irma hit. Uh, October. Your 1st. wife a music student as well? No, she's not. No, okay. no she's not. She is. Uh, she is the best sounding board I've ever met in my life. But she is not um, a musician, strictly speaking. Okay. And did you grow up with a big family, parents musical? Tell us a little bit about your uh, your upbringing. I'm the youngest of three. Um, my brother well, – first of all, no is the answer to the question. <laughs> I do not come from a giant family, and I do not come from a musical family whatsoever. My, um, my dad was a mechanic. My mom um, owns a restaurant uh, and beef jerky outlet. Um, a beef jerky outlet? Yeah. No, As was, in like – Yep. A, a place where the beef jerky that didn't sell at the normal store does, <laughs> like a normal outlet. Moving right along. Uh, no, yeah, it's. I don't. I don't think that it's. I don't think it's that kind of outlet. I think it's. I think it's just designed as like a dedicated beef jerky store. Oh, I see. I think yes. is what what outlet mm-hmm. translates there. Got it. Um, is it in Fort Myers? It is in Fort Myers. Okay, yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's named very uniquely the Fort Myers Beef Jerky Outlet. Um, we, on the nose. Yeah, right there. Does it say factory seconds on? The, never mind. <laughs> That's in the back. I'm cutting this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my my brother was a track star. He was like fifth in the state in cross country. My sister was a traveling softball player. I couldn't run a mile without wheezing until I was in college. So, is that because you stopped running when you got to college? It was people stopped chasing me. Yeah, that's <laughs> really what the biggest deal was. I guess. So where did music come in? Were you, was there a lot of music in the household? Were your parents musical? Or did they have you doing lessons? They weren't. They weren't musical in in the. I guess they weren't musical in the sense that they played, but they listened to music. My dad always listened to country music, and my mom always listened to disco, um, and and a little bit of classic rock. A healthy blend. A healthy blend, and um, I got a, a harmonica when I was like ten from Cracker Barrel. And I figured out how to play a song that was on the radio on the way home, and they were like, "Oh, maybe he's good at that," you know. <laughs> and uh, and I started playing music in sixth grade, and it's kind of just to get out of PE. And did did you start with cello? I started cello and guitar the same day. Actually, I started in an orchestra, and then they announced that they were going to do a, a guitar program after school, and I was like, "Well, yes, little book. sign me up," you know. So yeah. And did you take to one instrument more? I think I naturally gravitated towards guitar. I think it was easier for me to communicate quicker with guitar. Um, I think in the first in the first year of growth, I think guitar is a much easier instrument to create noise on. Cello without frets and with a bow, it's it's a little more mechanical, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So guitar felt easier from the beginning. In the song you learn on harmonica, and this is kind of an extended question of what you were hearing on the radio and stuff. What was the music? It was Ricky Martin. Yeah, okay. It was Ricky Martin. I'll be very clear about that. It was "Living La Vida Loca." 
Which is everyone's favorite uh, harmonica song. <laughs> it's in G, okay? I yeah. don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was pretty serendipitous that it was in the right key. Thank for, goodness, for right? Harmonica, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so. golly. Yeah, that's, that was God. We'll give that, we'll give <laughs> yeah. that one to God. Yeah. Um, and what was your first uh, What was your first foray into songwriting? Oh, man. Um, I met a guy in high school named Sam Faust. And Sam was a guitar player, and he wanted to write, and he had this, he had an idea for a song, uh, I think, and I I don't know if I wrote it, or he, I can't remember how the song came about, but we wrote a song together called With Me, and that was the first, that was kind of the first song, and I was like, oh, oh, this is cool, I can create this, you know, and it's, and I feel like connected to it, if that makes sense, Um and then it was from there. It's been you know downhill. <laughs> so in talking to you a little bit, you know, over the last couple of days, and we'll get to the songwriters fest and all the awesome things that we go on this weekend. But you know, spirituality is a little bit uh, thread through some of your background, certainly. Yeah. Um, were you around um, you know, worship bands, anything like that? Was that part of your upbringing, stuff like that? In college, yeah. In college, yeah. So I I helped lead worship at my college, and that was that's really the only. Um, I played cello for some Catholic services when I was growing up. I grew mm-hmm. up Catholic. Um, so I, I played cello for those. And yeah, so I mean, I guess, I guess. Well, I asked the question because. I didn't do like the Bible study, like the, I didn't do like the camps and stuff like that. Like, more, more what I meant was uh, routinely one of the places that people are able to cut their teeth playing with other songwriters are, you know, the wayward open mic nights where they just do an open jam or yep. where you're having to learn stuff really quickly with a worship band. You're playing with different artists all the time. And it's a really good, I've seen that be a, a you know, a, a through line of people that have a, the ability to get up on stage, pick up a song quickly, and gel with a group—that's that's something we've seen. That's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Which is why I asked the question, and that was a little bit part of your. Part yeah, of your I, I think I, I never knew that. I never um, got to know that because the the college at least had a set kind of group. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So you're always working with the same people for the year. Um, but my first gigs were playing at a Amish ice cream parlor. Uh, for a crowd that very much didn't want to hear it, um, hear me play Oasis for three hours <laughs> um, on an Ovation guitar that wasn't in tune. But I, I think when I when I got into playing bars, that kind of cut my teeth really quickly. So I played at a Jimmy Buffett bar, um, Cheeseburger in Paradise, which was tons of fun, mm. um, boatloads of fun. We won't comment. We won't comment. Irony. Irony, maybe. <laughs> Um, the uh, every hour on the hour, no matter what you were doing, okay, no matter what you were playing or where you were in the restaurant, if you were playing on the hour, it'd click, a bell would go off, and you would have to be on stage to go, blew out my flip flop, <laughs> and start their song. That's but that is why so many news stories start, and a Florida man. <laughs> yeah, 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 in local news. Yeah, Florida man throws alligator at his wife because they were driven to insanity. Yeah. Thanks, by... Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I stepped on a pop top. Yep, <laughs> threw an alligator at my wife. <laughs> it's a real shame. Um, so you mentioned Sam, I think was his name. Yeah. So when was when did you kind of decide you, you wanted to have an artistic voice um, and start doing some real writing because. And we'll go ahead and say, so this weekend here in St. Pete, we had the first year of the downtown St. Petersburg Songwriters Festival. Yeah. Um, 
to different varying uh, degrees of success, but but overall success, I would say there's a lot of really say, great songwriters yeah. here, mm-hmm. and we'll definitely want to get your take on it. Um, but throughout the weekend, you know, a lot of songwriters for anybody that's new to songwriters festivals. Um, actually, Brian, you you're a good uh, spokesperson for these things because you were explaining it to the crowds. If you want to just give listeners a good idea of what songwriters festivals generally are, okay. Um, so songwriters festival in and of itself is very simple. It's it's being in a public space and listening to songwriters explain where their songs come from and then perform them. So if, say, you're a modern country fan, you really like Keith Urban, you really like Brad Paisley or something. Brad Paisley's not a good example. If you if you like Keith Urban or you like um, you know pop country, whatever, most of the songs that you hear on the radio are not written by the artists who are performing them. They're written by songwriters in a room that that meet you know monday through friday just like you would your regular job and we check into a to a job and we write songs that's what we do um and these events are great because they 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 kind of let the listener in on what the song's actually about and the story of how it came up there's a there's a good example here a friend of mine um, named clint daniels he wrote a song called um she she ain't in it for John Party. I don't know if you know who John mm-hmm. Party is. So John Party had cut this song called She Ain't In It. Well, the song's very simple. I'm, it's it's a, it's a guy's friends telling him that they want him to come back out and hang out with him and him saying, look, I'll go anywhere you want to go. I'll go to any bar you want to go to as long as she ain't in it. Okay, <laughs> it's a very, very simple hook. <laughs> the idea came from Clint um, running into this woman in Midtown Nashville who is... Uh, just kind of uh, giving him a hard time about stuff and was aggravating. And so he went to this bar. He ended up leaving that bar and went to another bar. And he was he was standing outside two bars. One's called Winners. The other is called Losers. Um, and a buddy of his says, hey, man, which, which one do you want to go to tonight? Because they're very different bars, but they are connected. And he said, man, I don't care which one we go to as long as she ain't in it. And that's where that song came from. Mm-hmm. So he could tell that story and then perform the song. And now you as a listener... You know it. You have ownership over it. You feel like you you were part of it. You know. Um, so these festivals are designed to bring songwriters to the crowds um, and let them hear, you know, the truth of where these songs come from. Associate them with a different name. Support these artists. Um, and and I don't know. See live music in a different way. So that's that last part you said is really important because I think format is an important thing too. Um, People, just in general, you know, you see just consumer behavior. People are craving experience more, right? And so not only that, when you take it to music, you're consuming music from so many different angles. It's so easy to get. Now it's streaming. You're not even necessarily conscious of who you're listening to. It's just in a playlist. But then to be able to go and see, you know, a listening room style event, that intimacy with a singer-songwriter, that's part of the format of these festivals too, generally. So Joshua Riley is a great singer-songwriter from the area. He was out with um, another guy, uh, Dean Johannesson, who's another great singer-songwriter. So they were out at Dripping Springs. So Dripping Springs is another one outside of Austin, Texas. Similar format. And I think what's also important, because we're just coming from one of your shows with another great singer-songwriter that many people will know, um, but you're playing generally in either in what's called In the Round. Um, or you're playing as a duo and you're, you're going back and forth songs with song another swap. songwriter. Yeah, song swap with another songwriter, which is a really cool format in which to see it. And if you're lucky and the people on stage either know each other, um, which you and Dave did uh, at this last performance, um, or the people start to gel, you start to get harmonies that have never happened before. You hear little leads come in here and there. And there's some really cool magical things that happen if the mood's right and the venue's right and the audience is right um, that aren't going to happen generally at a concert. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think you're seeing 
you're seeing actual reaction, you know, and it's, it's kind of like catching lightning in a bottle in a lot of ways. It can be, sometimes it's, sometimes it's harder than others, but for Dave and I, like I know Dave really well. I've played with him for years. Why don't you go ahead and just um, give an intro who Dave is. So Dave, Dave is a very good friend of mine. His name is Dave Fenley. He is a Nashville based, um, Texas born artist, writer, and musician. And he was on season 14, I believe, of The Voice. He was in the top 10. He was on uh, Team Blake. And um, he's one of the most gifted songwriters I've ever met in that, I like I said before, I believe him. When he sings, there's a lot of writers when I hear him, I think, oh, that's a clever word, or, or you really thought about how this line fits. He he could have an obtuse sounding line, and I'd still believe him. Mm-hmm. You know, he could sing me the phone book. So. He's, yeah, he sings with uh, conviction, but like this, I think the the comparison I made was Chris Stapleton type of voice that just like it. You feel like this grizz of experience in their vocal yeah. cords. You know, like it yeah. must be true. They must have experienced this, right? Yeah. yeah, and he's singing about nothing that he ever lived through, but he's just like, yeah, no, yeah, I believe you. Right. Yeah. And so you got to perform with a bunch of great singer songwriters throughout did. the weekend. Um, a lot of them are here. We had you know a bunch of past guests for the listeners that follow us on social media. Lydia Luce was here, who's one of our past guests who were a huge I love fan of Lydia. Excellent. Rebecca Pulley is playing this weekend. Another previous guest who's super excellent. A lot of great singer songwriters locally, and then a lot from around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you're here from Nashville. Talk to us a little bit about your journey up to Nashville. You mentioned you know you were in Lakeland. Um, you know you'd been taking you were doing cello, you're doing guitar, but when did you decide to make music your living? I, I made music my living in 2010. Um, I was still in college, and I had really, really cheap rent. Um, <laughs> but I, I needed, you know, I needed a job, and you know, I knew a lot of songs. I could play a lot of songs, and playing on cello, I could play songs on cello and sing, and that's that's like tip fire, all right. And people will just tip the crap out of you for that. And so I got into playing wine bars. I got really good at, at uh, what is that? Sweet pea, apple of my eye, and all, all that kind of music. Um, and it worked out perfectly. I, re- I really got to, I found a good voice there that I really liked. You were doing Amos Lee on the cello? I was doing Amos Lee on the cello. I did uh, Bill Withers on cello. Oh. Can you paint the whole picture for us? Like, was were there any other accompaniments? Accompanists. So at first, or? it started. I was a cello major in school, and I'd been playing guitar, you know, ten years by that point. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of doubling up. I was playing cello for some. I was playing guitar for some. I was singing. And then one of my best friends, um, Zach Rogers, he was playing upright bass with me. So it was it was a duo. It was cello. It was either cello and upright bass or guitar and upright bass, and with me singing. Wow. And it killed. It was great. It was tons of fun, you know. Um, and it was easy because it was. It wasn't uh, Brown Eyed Girl. It wasn't. It wasn't the typical cover band thing, mm-hmm. and so we got really good at that and uh, honed it. And ended up being a trio, then a quartet, and then a full band. And it, at, at its peak, it was a five-piece band mm-hmm. with oh, <laughs> indeed. He, he, five-piece bands were overwhelming for my. I know <laughs> they were overwhelming for me. Yeah, um, was we, this the Brian Sutherland? band? This was the Brian Sutherland band. Yeah, we had a five-piece band and. We would bring in guests as we need them. I did a, I did like a four and a half hour Zydeco gig with hired guy. It was weird. We did a bunch of weird stuff, <laughs> and uh, but I ended up getting shingles at like twenty six from the stress of trying to maintain all this. And um, 
I, I, I mean, the doctor was very clear. He's just like, hey, you can't do what you're doing. Like, you need maybe to a three piece, maybe a four piece, <laughs> but a five piece? Brian, you're killing yourself. Yeah, Slow down, no, guy. Yeah. No accordion. Yeah, no, yeah, no, so, no, no. Okay, yeah. Accordion and shingles don't okay. mix. No. no, accordion and shingles actually do mix. <laughs> right. yeah. Do well. That's a cause and effect. That no, is, um, yeah, direct correlation. Uh, the uh, the so I was playing with the band and everything, and and you know I'd gotten to do some band leader roles where there were there were I was playing for a country band. I was playing cello, resonator, keyboard, mandolin, singing, tambourine, and something else. For uh, for a country band in the area, I had more equipment than the drummer. It was the weirdest thing in the world. I was just going to say for listeners listening, going, that's a lot of stuff. And part of that's you were classically trained. Yeah, read I could music. jump around. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's an important thing to note um, here. Yeah, and it was it, my job was the utility guy. It was they had a guitar player, they had a bass player, they had a drummer, they had a singer. I was the guy that covered all the other sounds on the records, you mm-hmm. know, and. Um, and through doing that, I ended up getting calls from um, you know artists would country artists would come down from Nashville. They'd play in Florida. They'd bring an opener with them, but the opener wouldn't have a band because they wouldn't have the budget. So they they would call me and say, "Hey, can you put a band together for our opener um, and run the rehearsal, whatever, and and, and just do the show?" And I'm so, like, "Yeah, I can do that." I need to pause you there because that's a really important thing. So a lot of our we've. Uh, Mixed audience, right? Some people are listening because they just love the stories and they love music. Some people are listening because they are songwriters that are out there on their way. They're guys like you, Andrew Duhon, the Lydia's. And then there's the people that are up and just starting. They love playing. They've had a few gigs. Um, and they like they don't know what the roadmap should look like. And the roadmap's changing every day, too. It know? should. It's changing. So talk a little bit about when you say, these guys heard about me. And I, like, what was that actual process? Like, how, how did these guys even know who you were? How did they find you? Okay, um, let's see. So I got hired for a country band to play first. While I was with the country band, I met a fiddle player. And just through networking, that's how you ended just up with a country through, band? Yeah, just people yeah. in town. And I'd been wanting to get into country music a little bit. Not, mm-hmm. not. I didn't really know anything about it, but I wanted to get into it. And the band that I was playing for was playing a lot. And they were doing big shows. They played House of Blues, and they were doing really cool stuff. And so I reached out to them and just said, hey, if you ever need something, holler. I'd love to play for you. And um, so they had this CD release at a bar in, in Lakeland called Boots and Buckles, which was, it. It was, you know, classic. And uh, and so I ended up playing for their CD release. And while I was in that, I met a violinist and he ended up joining my band. He ended up being one of my best friends in the world and my business partner at the time. Um, and through the relationship there, the bar owner I became very comfortable with and very close with. And he would get the call from the artist, and he would say, "Oh, well, I got a guy. If your opener needs a band, I got a guy. Mm-hmm. Just, just give him, you know, send him the files." And so they would, they would hire me for that. That was, that was kind of how that started. And I, that skill set, you know, you just kind of develop that skill set more and more and more. But it's important because not all artists do develop that skill set and the ability to socialize and things. Like, and because it, it, we joked about it this weekend, there is a no offense, to all of our listeners, but. Artists have a stereotypical yeah. flakiness to them. People think that about musicians, you know. And um, it's important to note that music's no different than any other job. You have to network. You have to be able to do the job. Got to show up. You know, you got to show up. Like those are really important things, and you got to take your chances. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a, a balance between risk and reward, without a doubt. I, as far I as the nuts and bolts of working with these other musicians, like how many of them would you say are kind of at your level of education and reading music and and like, how would you interact with these other musicians? And 
Um, kind of. Well, I I think the education side of it is can be deceiving because scholastic education, co- collegiate education in music is a great and helpful tool. Mm-hmm. But there is that school of hard knocks thing where there are some guys that I've met right. that have never stepped foot in a classroom and are better musicians than I will ever be. You know, That's what I'm curious about. Like, um, the, that, in that regard, it's just not it's experience. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's it's a uh, ten thousand hours. It's ten thousand. Yeah, thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh it's ten thousand hours and it's it's for me it was a it was a humbling thing it was okay these guys know more than me mm-hmm. but my job is to be the liaison between the artist and them so right. they may know more than me but that just means that when I go to them I just say hey guys what do you you know what do you think about this how do you how would you want to approach this you know I don't play fiddle how is a fiddle going to do this part mm-hmm. um, and trust them and and do that and and uplift and you it's basically like a team leader you mm-hmm. know what I mean if you right. think about it like that yeah. you it's your responsibility to I think to know the music mm-hmm. better than anyone when they walk in the door you should be the most comfortable and the most knowledgeable with that set of music um, so that if you hear something off you can say so right. or if you they want to add you say okay yeah cool you know mm-hmm. or whatever the whatever the case may be mm-hmm. um, I think that's that that makes sense oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're not necessarily micromanaging every measure of every song no, gosh, and like no. telling everybody what to do right I was just curious about how you interacted with yeah I think you're know. avoiding train wrecks that's you're you're basically just <laughs> yeah. avoiding big big catastrophes and you're trusting your guys you know if you've right. if you've hired people that you respect and that respect you mm-hmm. um, and respect the job like respect the situation you're in you know mm-hmm. everybody we're not out to to have a bad show. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to have a good show. So if everyone kind of comes to the table like that, you can you can have great conversations about um, you know musical conversations. Like at the end of the chorus, we want to do a push here. We want to mm-hmm. where the whole band's going to stop. We're going to let the singer do so. You know, mm-hmm. how do we lift this singer? How do we make this singer look ten times what they are? You know. So how much of that experience do you think you got while you were still in Lakeland? Like that that uh, you know where you were called upon to to do this thing like pull together because uh, uh, th- th- it seems to me like this is something that later on in life you m- might not have necessarily envisioned that this would continue on right 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 in a professional capacity but if i'm correct mm-hmm. it's a part of what you're it's living part now. of what i do yeah so. um i think the foundation blocks were there mm-hmm. i think they, that's what lakeland's where i got the got my feet wet doing it you mm-hmm. know i'd i'd been running my band right so i'd had the experience I had, I've had the artist experience where, uh, you know, what does an artist want from a group? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I want as an artist? What do I want to be comfortable to do my job and to make sure, you know, everything's copacetic. Um, so when I got to be the side man where I wasn't the artist and I didn't have to talk to the crowd every song and I didn't have to worry about the, the, uh, the billboard that I'm putting forth, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? If that makes sense, yeah. I could just worry about, how do I make that guy awesome? How do I lift him? And how do we as a team lift that person? I was, I think that was the most valuable lessons I learned came from Lakeland in that regard. Mm-hmm. When yeah. I think while we're on learning and education, you were also teaching jazz guitar at some point while you were in school too. I right? wasn't teaching. No, I wasn't teaching jazz guitar. I was taking a, it was my minor. So got I, it, was, got it, got I was doing um, schooling in it. Um, I am, I will be the first to, to denounce my ability to teach. I am not a very patient teacher. Um, I wish that I was. It is. It is a. Uh, it There's is a, a dis- difference between teaching and directing. 
Uh, yeah, well, I'm not teaching the band how to do their parts. I'm assuming that they did their homework because um, I'm paying them yeah. you know, or because someone's <laughs> yeah. paying them. Yeah. Sure. But teaching, I, I did teach for a minute and it was the hardest thing I'll ever do. And I, I just don't have it. You know, I don't have that gift. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I envy those that do. It's amazing. It's a brilliant thing. And it's so important. Anyway, I digress. So, so concurrently with, with this, you're also amassing, I'm assuming you're writing I am starting to build up a catalog of your own stuff. Yeah. So what was the progression there? You, uh, Oh, so I, I'm sorry. I got, I got off there. No, no, no. That's where we were going. So you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're now, you're not doing your own band. You're now your band leading and you're responsible for other people. We're still in Lakeland, right? Still in Lakeland. Still in Lakeland. So I'm running my own group. Mm -hmm. We're playing. I'm, I'm personally playing two to 300 dates a year. Oh, wow. And I am hustling. Working really, really hard to play every bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah from Arcadia to Gainesville. Everything top, top that I forty do. stuff and originals. Everything that you could, everything under the sun. Um, cello gigs for weddings. I would. We used to run a, a wedding thing where, like, I would play cello and the fiddle player would play violin for the ceremony. We put a jazz trio together for the cocktail. We'd play full band for the reception. I'd DJ in between sets. I'd MC the whole event. It was it was that kind of thing, and it was every weekend. You know, we did. I did thirty six weddings in one year. You oh. should have just gotten ordained, and then you could do the right ceremony. exactly. <laughs> You're not the first person telling me. I didn't have a printer, so. Um, but the uh, the, I think it, it, when the shingles thing happened, my wife Holly and I we sat down. And we were like, okay, something's got to change. You know, I I can't do this. I was doing that many dates, and I was like scraping thirty grand. You know, I was barely getting by mm-hmm. um and so we said i i had been doing songwriters festivals through bmi there's one in um fort myers where i'm from and i was technically a regional artist so they brought me down and i did it and it was amazing and it was kind of a life-changing weekend and through those connections um through the just meeting people at the festival i would play that i, I ended up going down to key west and i did the one in key west in 2016 and I kept doing Island Hopper. I did Dripping Springs um, twice. Um, I actually met, funny enough, I think I met Dean in Dripping Springs, even though we lived this close to each other. You know, hmm. um, Josh, I met Joshua Riley. I met out there too. Same deal, and um, and a couple other places. Tuscaloosa has one called the Druid City Songwriter Festival, or uh, sorry, Black Warrior Songwriter Festival. Anyway, um, I would do those things, and I was like, "Well, this is an option. I can, I can do this. I mean, I, I love writing and I love talking. Why, what the heck am I doing? Why, why can't I do this?" And so, uh, my wife and I started kind of thinking about it, and I started visiting Nashville, and I'd, I'd been touring through there every now and again, and doing corporate things or whatever, and visiting, and then. Uh, we just we said okay well we need to figure out how to do it and um, we did you know I think that was that was the the point that we moved I was like okay I'm a writer that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna focus in on writing I'm gonna back off from playing so many gigs uh, I'm gonna get my voice back you know <laughs> did, gonna... did you go up there with okay I have a connection I have a something I'm going up for you're going up you you just start feeling it out see where it's open mic nights are out there start meeting people like what was your foot in the door there if there was one. So I started with the songwriters festivals. Um, when you're at those festivals, they're a vacation for the Nashville writers, right? So those guys are not, they're sitting by the pool most of the day when they're not playing or they're playing and they're hanging, you know, but when you're staying at the same place they are, you hang, 
you spend time together and you build a connection and they see you play and if if they like what they see well then we'll have a conversation and and inevitably the conversation ends up with well hey man whenever you're up in town call me mm-hmm. i'd love to i'd love to hang out i'd love to write with you and and you would say okay yeah <laughs> so my first connection with that was a guy named Frank Myers and i'm i'm going to go out on a limb do either of you know who frank is I, I think you brought up the name to me at some point when I we were talking pre-show, you, but otherwise not. Are you a country music fan? Not not really. Did you ever hear of a duo called Baker and Myers? Yeah. That sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah. Frank is Frank Myers. Frank Myers. Okay. okay. So Frank has written some of the biggest, just the biggest songs you've ever heard. Okay. I swear for John Michael Montgomery and then All for <laughs> One from my front porch looking in for oh, wow. uh, Lone Star and – Tomorrow for Chris Young and everything with Crystal Gale, all these all these beautiful songs. The first time that I got to play a show for a songwriters festival, uh, as a member of the festival, like as a as a part um, participant of the festival, was a side by side show with him, and at a sold out show in Captiva Island, with you know four hundred people looking at us, and he's up here playing these just monster hits. I mean, hit after hit after hit. And I was like, oh, crap. You know. <laughs> just immediately went to your Jimmy Buffett riff? <laughs> <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> um, no, so funny enough. He, so he starts with this song, and he tells all these stories about how they kind of came about. And then I strummed a chord, and in the first chord I busted a string. And I was just like, ah, no. <laughs> I finished the song uh, poorly. The crowd loved it. They took pity on me. I was very grateful for that. That is very, yeah. I changed my entire set of strings while he played his next song. And then we played the rest of it. And all my nerves were gone by that point. I was like, all right, I'd already what lost it. Yeah. What could go wrong? You know? Exactly. Yeah, you and, got it out of the way. And we had a blast the rest of the show. And when we got done, he was the first Nashville writer to be like, hey, you know, you got some really cool stuff. I would love to work with you. You know, come when you come up, you call me. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's that's kind of where it started. From all the songwriters festivals I'd been doing and all the one-off events or whatever I would do, I would try and spend time with the writers as much as I could. And then when I moved to town, I had a short list of people to call and just say, hey, I, I, if you're available, can I write with you or can we go grab coffee? And if they weren't available, they would say, you know, I can't, but I think you're, you know, I remember you, you know, it was great, da 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 um, This guy is available tomorrow. Go write with him. You know, and that's that's how it started. And then inevitably, some of them are inevitably saying, hey, look, I got a gig going on or I've got a house concert or, and I'm assuming that's how that starts to happen, that you start to find opportunity. Yeah. Um, and then at, you've been how long in Nashville now? Just two years. Just two years. Yeah. And, but you're still, you're still band leading. So you're able to figure that out and network that out yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and that's saying something in Nashville, especially because there's a million musicians. There's so many. So yeah. how did how did that come to be? From doing writers rounds. So in Nashville, it's very commonplace to have a bar and have four songwriters up on the stage and go. You sing a song and I sing a song. And the next guy sings a song. And the next guy sings. Yeah, stuff like the Basement and Bluebird and things like that. And I mean, and those are great. The the Bluebird. If you can get into the Bluebird, wonderful. That's Which the, people that's listening. The church. That's you know exactly. Yeah, you know, that's that is, the one. Mm-hmm. But every bar there from Tin Roof to all of the bars on Demumbrian and. All the bars downtown and everything in East Nashville, there's there's never a shortage of writers to sit up and play you their songs. It's very normal. Um, and from doing that, I I would uh, I play along 
when I'm playing with people. You know, I try and I try and I try and lift other people up. If I'm playing, I try and make their songs better, and or not make their songs better. I try and help as much as I can sure. if I hear something. And you get comfortable. Writers get comfortable with you. If you do it a couple times, they're like, oh, okay. So he's a writer. So he knows kind of how that feels. And I'm comfortable with him. And I know he can play guitar. Well, this is logical. You just do it. I know you. Mm -hmm. you And so I started getting calls that way. Um, And that has transformed into uh, publishing companies that I know. I have a relationship with the people just from pitching them songs or whatever. And from tracking, from doing my own demos and recording my own guitar playing, they would say, okay, well, I have an artist I think you'd be a good fit for. Mm-hmm. Can you help? Can you do this? Here's the budget. Well, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the pitching, too. So you're you're spending time in Nashville. You are, you're band leading. You are playing writer's rounds and stuff. But you're also making ends meet. You you know, you alluded to, I don't want to be scraping 30 a year anymore. So you're, you're making your living doing a multitude of different things. Compound income, yeah. Yeah, compound income. Um, are you playing cover gigs while you're up there, too? I am. Yeah, I you're am. still grinding that piece, too, which a lot of people are doing. It's part of it, yeah. Um, I don't the, do it as much as I, ha- as, as much as I did here. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, you know, I don't play five nights a week now. I can play a couple nights a week and then offset it by doing cello sessions and by doing gigs with other artists you know lifting up and stuff. well and but it's important to know too that doing that is you know, we mentioned cutting your teeth doing your 10,000 hours like getting comfortable in front of people um, but staying at it like continuing to yeah. practice because the the voice is I mean it's not technically a muscle but I mean but you have vocal cords that need to be practiced and you need to use them you'll lose it you'll lose it yeah. and and practicing builds it back up and especially if you haven't had vocal coaching because you know you can be taught a way to sing that preserves voice and all that stuff but I would like to figure that one out yeah yeah wouldn't we all <laughs> um, but but that's an important thing to note too that you know continuing to use your craft and use your like exercise the muscle you right. know in between getting to pitch a, you know, pitch a publishing company. But right. I think that's an important thing too, that in Nashville, for people who don't know, where all the writers go, there's, you know, there's Music Row and there's all these publishing houses. And, yep. Yeah, exactly. And so talk a little bit about that, breaking into that. How do you get in front of those guys? What's that process like um, from, from getting them to listen to you? Are you submitting? Is it knowing people and getting them to give you a chance? And then when you're sitting in front of them, what, <laughs> like, what is that actually like? Are you literally sitting with an acoustic guitar and playing to them? Uh, I I do I do a lot. Not everybody does that, um, and I've been told that. I I want to preface this. I do not have a publishing deal, so I don't know. I only know up to a certain point, kind of how it worked for me or how it's been working for me. So I I get it from uh, I'll play a writer's round or I'll play a gig or something, and I'll meet somebody, or I'll be at a, a networking event or a bar or something. You know, the bars there. Every bar is a networking event. That's mm. that's something that I've had to learn because I'm not a big bar drinker, partier guy. But there's a lot of business that happens over a pint. That's that's just kind of the nature of our business. Or bachelorette party. Or uh, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> On scooters. Yeah. <sighs> Pedal taverns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have this like penis straw in my mind now I can't get out of my mind yeah no that is the universal symbol for bachelor party I believe yeah it is um and tutus anyway um so I I would do these things and and you know I'd hang out with writers that I that I you try and surround yourself with people who are better at what you do than you are mm-hmm. and so I would hang out with these guys that I'd meet on the road or whatever and they would in, he'd say okay well hey man this is so and so from so and so publishing indie <laughs> he would say you know this is this is so and so from so and so publishing 
and uh, and and then he'd turn to the guy and go, "You need to listen to this guy." And the guy would go, "Okay, well, let's set it up. What's your number?" And he'd give my phone number, and I'd text him. We'd get a date, and I'd go into his office, and I'd play him four songs, three songs, whatever. Um, We're gonna post all these numbers uh, in the, media, in the, uh, <laughs> five, the five, show five, notes for everybody. Five, yeah. five, 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 five. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the 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 I think the thing about the meetings that I learned was that not many people play anymore. They do they do demos. They play their demos, which is fine. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, I just didn't have the budget to make high quality demos. It's like a thousand bucks a demo, you know. And so I would just go in and play. And uh, and they stop you, you know. You get verse, chorus, and they're like, "Okay, next song, thank you." You know, and it's it's kind of like an audition. It kind of feels like you get really you get really good at like, oh yeah, they don't hate me. They're just they have no time. That's right. What, you know, they're trying to hear as many songs as they can. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I think it's interesting that um, if for anybody that's seen the movie Begin Again with Mark Ruffalo in the beginning of the movie, he's an A and R guy and he's just going through discs, throwing them out his window. He listens to like a half a verse and he's chucking out the window, and you know so. And I should also say for a living too, I work in marketing and sales. And so mm-hmm. getting somebody's time and getting them to pay attention without you it's being expensive. in front of them is expensive and it's tough. And once you are in front of them, you have a limited amount of time to get across. Yeah, what use you it. To get across, exactly. Yeah. So, But that's interesting to me that they'll stop you and be like, okay, I get it. Keep moving. Yeah. yeah. So know, they're treating you like a CD player anyway. They Some of them. Some of them, some of them want to hear the whole song or some of them are moved and they want to hear what, what you got or they... They don't know how to tell you to stop. <laughs> yeah, which is great. I mean, that, I've, any, I've any seen of them, that yeah. too. And I'll, and you'll take it. I'll get to the last verse and I'll be like, oh, they're not interested. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm still going to finish yeah. this song. <laughs> I mean, I'm here. Yeah. I mean, so, and so how do they, how do they in those meetings? It's like, okay, hey, listen, we, you know, there's an opportunity or there's, you know. No, no, it's, not, it's rarely that. Uh, I mean, for me, it's never been that. It's been, that was great. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, you know, keep sending me songs. And and we'd love to you know keep keep this relationship going. the The deal is that they're trying. There's so many writers for so little positions. Mm-hmm. So one, they want to know you're going to stick around, right? They want to know that you're not going to run your lease out and then leave town. So they're going to put all this money in you and they're going to lose it. They want to know that you show up and they audition you, whether you realize it or not. I think they they put you with their writers and they say, you know, and they they talk to their writers afterwards. How was he? How was she? Were they helpful? Did they have ideas? You know, what do you think? And it's all it's all of that. You know, you're trying to build a relationship with these people. You're not just trying to make a quick sell. Because you're if you think about it, I I think about a publishing house kinda like a family, you know what I mean? And you wouldn't you wouldn't just hire someone to be your brother, you know, no. You'd you'd probably audition him a little bit. Sure. Make sure that he didn't fart in his sleep or something, you know. Hey guys, this is Steph here, and I need to get something off my chest. The truth is, I have guitar playing insecurities. Pretty big ones. I mean, I can hold my own, but when I hear guys like Ed pick up a guitar, I realize quickly just how narrow my scope of knowledge truly is. My best friend, writing partner, and all-around guitar stud, Colin Ryan, confessed to me recently that he's been subscribing to Truefire to expand his musical vocabulary. I told Ed about it, and he was curious too. So we made a visit to Truefire's site and were blown away by how diverse and comprehensive Truefire's courses are. We were also really impressed by their educators, too. Well-known musicians, Grammy winners, and touring performers. A few really cool ones that stood out to me were Luther Dickinson of the North Mississippi All-Stars, Dweezil Zappa, Sonny Landreth, and our guest, Ellis Paul. 
Any lingering reluctance to sign up was quickly extinguished when I learned that over a million guitar players from around the world are already using TrueFire. I downloaded the app and I became one of them. So if you want to join us at any skill level, head over to songdivers.com slash TrueFire to get started on our favorite musical education platform. I think another thing that's we should point out too is your now influences are coming from all over the place, right? Especially if you do land at a publishing house, you're hearing other writers. Oh yeah, um, you're hearing all the stuff that you're having to band lead for you personally. Um, so you're having to get familiar with their music. Do you want to give a little bit of just insight into who you're band leading for right now? Uh, no, not really. No, I'm, I'm, I. It's not about that. You know, they're good artists. They're young artists. They're coming up. So. Well, and I, I say for for the but for the point of like styles, right? Oh yeah. So I have a, I work with a pop artist, a very young pop artist. She's 19, 18 years old, just turned eighteen. Um, who has she's had a few tracks on Radio Disney, and it's a very it's a very pop gig, which is very interesting because mm-hmm. as a guitar player, there's not a whole lot for me to do in right. the in the track. Um, so that's been fun. Um, and then. I'm working with a new artist now. It's also very young, 19. That's a country artist that we're getting. She's kind of getting off the ground, and uh, we're going to be doing some stuff for her in the new year. And then I work with a duo, a country duo, um, that is that is a, a little more experienced. They play the Broadway thing. We do Broadway with them, and then they release. They're working on new records and they're pitching. Um, and then I have my own stuff. And then uh, and I'm working. I'm actually working with a girl now who's also like a. I guess she's like a rock voice. Mm-hmm. So, well, and I think that's important too. What's your relationship to music as a listener um, now that you're in Nashville? And what has that been like? What do you listen to for fun? And, and are you somebody that just listens to listen? Can you at this point, as deep into music as you are as a professional, can you just listen and enjoy it? Are you analyzing the whole time, or do you like I'm going to listen to vintage jazz, <laughs> like and I want to listen to music? And it's not Django. I'm not interested. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, you know, and, and and are you? Do you listen to certain things that draw influence? Like, talk a little bit about how that's impacting your songwriting. So I I think I still listen to the songwriters that moved me from the beginning. And for me, you know, John Mayer was was what I grew up with. So that. That was a big part of my musical vocabulary. And you can hear him and Mraz and guys like that in your stuff. Jason Mraz, same deal. Jack Johnson, same mm-hmm. deal. Pretty much anyone with a J. But <laughs> but I also should say too, like it's your Jason stuff's not is... radio poppy. Though there's a no. lot of depth to what you're writing. Uh, well, thank you, thank you. Um, the uh, so I still listen to those records that moved me as a kid, and then a lot of what I listen to is like Wolfpack. I love and Wolfpack. Dynamo. Oh, I love Wolfpack. You know, that kind of Corey Wong is like my man. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. And and I do analyze it if I can. You know, my ear is not great. So I, I try and analyze it. It pushes my ear, which is great. But it's just funky and it's fun. Um, I have a hard time listening to the radio. And I, I think that'll get better over time, maybe. But right now it's been very difficult. And, and then I think another thing that's important, too, for where you're at and what you're doing in your career, you're writing very intentionally also. And I'm guessing here. But yeah. when I say that, a lot of the songwriters we have on, certainly they want people to enjoy what they're doing. When I'm writing, I want people to enjoy them. Of doing. course, but, we all do. But you, a lot of songwriters are writing to work through stuff or you're writing oh, about experience. You know, there's, yeah, yeah. Sure, it's a catharsis. Um, are you doing some of that? But are you also writing saying, I want to write this in a way that's going to fall? Or I notice as I'm starting to write something like, I know who I want to go pitch this to. Or, you know, because there's more to it, you have a direct or a more immediate thing you're going to do with it. I think when I write by myself, I take off any any uh, finish line. I t- there's no there's no end game in mind. It's it's a connect. If it doesn't move me, I'm not going to sing it. Um, when I'm in a co-write, 
I'm trying to write the best song that we can. We're not, I don't think about it like, okay, this is a Carrie Underwood song. Would Carrie sing this? I don't think like that. It, that would that would mess me up, I think. Um, we just try and write the best song we can, you know, about if, if so when you, have you done co-writes? Do you do guys, do you guys do co-writes? Ed's done a ton of co-writes. I've only done a couple. Okay. So when you do co-write, you tend to pitch ideas out, right? Mm-hmm. And if the idea moves you, right, then you write that idea. Mm-hmm. The trick there, the the pitfall that I, I find hard to miss is that sometimes you write the one that you think, is, like you hear a hit hook and you're like, oh, this is going to be cool or this is going to hit really good or people are really going to like this or this could be a hit or something like that instead of, wow, I really resonate with this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I fall for that. And I'm I'm quick to just be like, okay, yeah, let's do that one. Here we go. And then we're halfway through the song and I'm like, what the hell is the song? <laughs> you know, and I lose it. That's that's tough. Um Are there conversations though about like, okay, what what is this song about? Do you like get yeah. to that level like we have to figure out what the story is here? Yeah, absolutely. Then, yeah, okay. Absolutely. Um and some of them have very strict stories and and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. I think when I write by myself, I tend to write the exactly the image in my mind, right? So one of the songs that we were talking about earlier about a song to play was that you asked me about was called Just Like Us. Mm-hmm. Well, Just Like Us is, is one of those songs that I, my wife and I, my wife's name is Holly. Um, Hi, Holly. Hi, Holly. Hi, Holly. I love you. You're really cool. Um, we were at a breakfast joint. We just moved to Nashville. And we were at a breakfast joint called the Nashville Biscuit House. And we were having breakfast. It was a really, really busy dining room. And there was this beautiful couple, older couple, at the end of the dining room that was sitting there like it was their first date. They were looking they were looking into each other's eyes like it was their first date. And it was the sweetest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I said, I said to Holly, like, I hope that when we're at that point in our life that, that you still want to even, like, look at me even with disdain, let alone like with love <laughs> um, and want to share a meal with me. And it was, I, it was a weird moment, but it was like this super busy dining room of people that were, you know, rushing around trying, you could tell, you know, there's a buzz. Nashville has a natural buzz to it. So all these people are talking about, probably talking about, you know, what they're doing in their life and what they, you know, their producer said or something, some musical crap. And here's this beautiful couple that's just, loving on each other sitting there and I had this idea that that they were just this well-worn love letter that that these two people were and and that I wanted I want to be like that and I wrote this you know narrative I wrote this narrative in my mind of what their story was that they met at a dance and he wanted to dance with her all night long and right when the band leader finished a song he said you know this this uh the next song, the, the last song was in a sentimental mood and that's their song and that's been their song for 50 years or whatever and so I went home the next day we went well we went home that night and everything was fine we, the next morning I woke up really early and I was sitting on my porch and I started writing this song and I was part of a songwriting group at the time um, Josh is in it I think I think he is do you know Abe Partridge and all them the Dripping Springs crew maybe not okay we, we know we know of them okay so there's a they do a songwriting group um, they used to do a songwriting group where they give you a prompt every Monday. Yes, and Josh by, was telling us, okay. telling us about it. And by this. Sunday, you had to have it in. So the prompt was Get Born, which if you've never heard that phrase, it's from a Bob Dylan song. And it's about um, just 
constantly recreate. You know what I mean? Get born, get new, get redo. So I I was uh, I was late for the for the songwriting group class for the songwriting group turn in. So I was like trying to get the song written, and um, also I was writing this this real song, and it just kind of happened serendipitously. So remember what I said about songwriters earlier. Deadlines. Just what is it good for us or bad? No, it was bad because it was like, it's like you know, there's a stereotype that sometimes songwriters can be flaky. But in this case, it sounds like you were late because you just had to finish cranking it out. Yeah, I didn't start it till the day was. Due, so. I think Brian's. The kind I, I think of, that's a personality think, trait. <laughs> Brian's the kind of artist that responds well to pressure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Playing under, writing under pressure. Yeah, no, I I do my best work when I have to learn something in three days. I'm going to preface this one that. Brian played this earlier um, during your last set of the Songwriters Fest yeah. uh, with Dave that you mentioned. You guys were in the middle of a... Yeah, can I trouble you guys for some more sure. water in a minute? Yeah. You guys were playing in the middle of a sports bar. Thank you so much. Uh, which people were listening. They were totally yeah. in it. But you've got TVs, you got games on, which is generally a soul-sucking thing. Uh, people were so into your guys' set. This tune, I won't speak for anybody else, I squeezed a few tears out during this. Oh, one. It's yeah, so man. touching. I mean, it, it's such a great tune, and the way you paint the picture, and we'll let everybody hear it. It's so, it's so funny. I watched a video the other day that said uh, there's an artist that said playing music's really interesting. If you see someone in in like life, if you just see someone in the world crying, what's your first response? That they're sad. And what do you want to do? You, you want to s- help them stop crying, Consoling, right? Yes. As oh, a musician, I was say, laugh at them. No. <laughs> As a musician, if you see someone crying while you're playing, you're like, "All right, I'm going in." Yeah, I'm, yeah. You're about to ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, it's no. the funniest dichotomy. Well, and that's the thing. You know, it, we talked a little bit about the experience of an intimate setting earlier, and like that's the time you can, you're. You're ready to receive that message as an audience. Yeah. Not when you're standing in a sports bar, but that's just to speak to you know, you cut through. Yeah. So this is a uh, this is that song I was telling talking to you about. It's called Just Like Us. A Sunday morning, lovers flirting, sitting in the corner booth, quietly smiling, eyes loving on each other. We could feel it clear across the room. A well-worn love led a patchwork life that could only be built with time Alone in a crowd, chalk full, filled with other people Scrambling to fill their lives So baby, that can be just like us You're loving each other so true Warm embrace, good old mixtape Playing all your favorite tunes and keeping it together through the wind and the weather Like a home we built on trust All our lives in the arms of each other, babe That could be just like us Late night swaying, band starts playing Laying down that perfect groove He'd been waiting to hold her She couldn't be closer Even if he wanted her to well, The last chord rings And the front man sings I've only got eyes for you Fifty years swaying To their first dance song In a sentimental mood So baby that can be just like us You're loving each other so true 
warm embrace like an old mixtape, playing all your favorite tunes, yeah. and keeping it together through the wind and the weather like a home we built on trust. All our lives in the arms of each other, babe. That could be just like us. That could be just like us. Rewriting the book on love, starting all over, new turn, and heating out the words get born. And brand new eyes, living out a brand new life, remade for your own heart. And ours could be a brand new start. Baby, that can be just like us, loving each other so true. Warm embrace, got old mixtape, playing all your favorite tunes, and keeping it together through the wind and the weather like a home we built on trust. All our lives in the arms of each other, babe, that could be just like us. And all our lives in the arms of each other, babe, that could be just like us. Could be just like us. Yeah. Nice. Very Thanks. nice. Very nice. Why didn't you play that one for the publishing company? I did. Um. <laughs> I did play that for the publishing company. Those idiots. <laughs> I, ha- I have to say, no. I know that you did because you made a comment. In, at, <laughs> oh, I in thought you were going to bring this up. Yeah, man. <laughs> And I thought that was so funny because I'm like, that's my favorite chord change in the whole. Song. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, do you want to? So for the, it the satanic for the, the listeners that don't know, I played that for a, I pitched that song to a publisher when I first moved to town, and they said, "Man, I, I really love that song. It hits on all the chords you need to hit, and it hits on all the spots, and it really hits right in the feels." But if it weren't for that satanic chord, I'm telling you what, <laughs> that satanic chord there in the bridge really ruined it for me. Yeah, I, was I like, thought that was cool, hilarious. bro. Have a great day. Ugh. It's, like, it's a great song. I, yeah, keep pitching that one. Obviously, I. Uh, that's, that's I'm a actually. Song. I'm not going to pitch it anymore. I'm releasing it in January. So, I'm gonna keep it See, even better. I really. I mean, obviously, these these guys know what they're looking for, but I just they don't. Though. I no, but I mean, <laughs> I, I was going to say they think they do, but they. I just hate that mindset. Yeah. It's like you're. Oh, you played a, a seventh chord there. Not that that chord is a seventh chord. No, a secondary dominant. I mean, you went... No, but what I'm saying is like you played more than six chords. Right, right, right. You shouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's not a G major chord. Right. Guy. Well, the human brain responds to certain chords like they do to colors, but at the same time, I mean, a great song is a great song, and the staying power of that, people are going to... It's going to resonate, you know? Yeah. So, I guess I would take... I agree with you there, but there's a reason that that this is so iconic like there's a reason you know what that song is you know what I mean and to you what's that reason they didn't call that satanic no they didn't they called it a million dollar song yes (laughs) (laughs) not that my song is compared to friends in low places that's an entirely that's a long conversation. No. No, but for a lot of our listeners, they're going to hear that. And for any of our listeners that do still listen to the radio, they're going to go, "What? that's easily better than 75% of the songs I hear on the radio right now. Oh, that's right very now, kind. You know? Thank so, you. So, wow. what the hell? <laughs> but, you know, what is it they're looking for? <laughs> what it's gives, confusing. John? Yeah. Um, but I think, too, you know, in that, you're 
it, it, we mentioned Lydia earlier, you know, a lot of her songwriting she was talking about earlier, and, and you talked about this too. You're writing a narrative. Some little thing sparked an idea, and you're writing this complete fantasy narrative that's, you know, some hopeful, some fantasy, some just, you know, cinematic almost a little bit too, the way you're painting a picture in that. Yeah, I, ideally it's, it's painting. You know, it's, it's, it's exactly painting, I've always thought. Um, and Lydia, Lydia is one of those that has that, she's got such a timeless voice, mm-hmm. such an ageless voice. Yeah. Um, she could sing a hip hop song and I would be like, gosh, that sounds like the Andrews sisters. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of those kind of things. So that one that you just played for us, um, just like us, is that a more recent one you've written or? I wrote that on October 2nd, 2017. Okay. So we got to hear some really cool stuff that you played throughout the week and you switched it up and did a bunch of different things. Um, another one I really liked that you're going to have to tell us whether your voice is yeah, able I don't, to do it. I'll try it, but, but if it sucks, but, we just won't post it. But a tune called Bro- <laughs> Broken In. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh man, I'll do Can I interrupt just for one minute? Do whatever you need. I want to rewind just just a few minutes ago. Okay. How do you know it was written on October 2nd, 2017? Because I moved on October 1st. Okay. Day after you moved. Yeah. We went to breakfast the next day. Just curious. Yeah. I'm I'm really weird about dates, too. I didn't know if you... I'm terrible at dates. I can't I, remember I, my own birthday. But uh, See, I that's something that... If you know, if you get to know me for any long period of time, I, that's going to happen. I'll know this everything about you eventually. Perfect. So um, <laughs> you and the NSA, buddy. Yeah. Um, I I'm really weird about dates, numbers, and dates. Like I I just remember them, um, and I I don't celebrate them really, but I but they mean something to me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't know. I'm a weird human being. I thought maybe you kept very no detailed copious notes on every every song and edit of a song that you do well as as you're tuning there too talking about songwriting are you are you a journaler are you writing stuff down Um, a lot of memory stuff you just napkin scrapping what's happening napkin scrapping i love that (laughs) uh no so i have a i I run a lot of my song lyrics come through you know notepad on your phone or Mm -hmm, on your computer mm -hmm. um a journal uh, I I go through periods of journaling where I'm like, for two weeks, I'm a dedicated get up in the morning and do my morning pages. And then for the rest of my life, I'm not, you know. <laughs> morning pages uh, is a reference to Julia Cameron yeah, and the, the artist way, way, right? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. How long have you been subscribing to that? Uh, you, you do that? Uh... Um, I started listening to podcasts a couple of years ago with um, Brian Koppelman called... Mm-hmm. The Moment. The Moment. Thank you. And he was talking about it. And okay. I, I was like, oh, okay, I'll check this out. And then he was talking about, I think it's Stephen Presswood's The oh, yeah. War the of Art. Art of, uh, yeah. The, the War, War of, of Art, Art. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And talking about resistance. This and is stuff. so funny because we had this conversation with a guy in Seattle. That James Anaya? A guest we had on the show. Oh, James yeah. James Anaya, yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So it's, he, he incorporated some of the some of the stuff in the book. He had a lyric that was directly from there, I think. He mentioned resistance in a lyric and I... I asked him, "Is it? Did you read Stephen uh, Stephen Pressfield? Uh, you know, so he was like, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for understanding. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's the best feeling in the world when someone finds an Easter egg like yeah, that. Yeah, oh, you know, it's yeah. great if they're listening at all, but heaven forbid they actually know what you're talking about. Yeah, they glean something, right? Yeah. yeah. So, War of Art and and the Artist's Way, and yeah, kind of. Um, so I started doing doing. I tried to get through the morning pages thing, and and I am a morning person, but I, I guess. Um, I did it until I felt like I was, I was, uh, comfortably creative. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if I went through a period where I wasn't writing a lot cause I was playing a lot or I was, I was doing something else or whatever. Um, 
I would I would do the morning pages, and then when once I got back to you know writing five songs a week, then I didn't necessarily need to be right. up at five in the morning doing three pages freehand. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, setting a timer and then throwing it away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're gonna do uh, so gonna, broken in. Yeah, do broken tell us a little in bit about us? this one. This is another one that really stuck out to me as you're going through the rounds. God, I, I hope I can sing it. Um, so I, this uh, there's another guy speaking of the voice. Another guy that was a finalist on The Voice, his name is Blessing Offer. If you have a chance, I'm just telling you, if you have a chance to get with Blessing or to hear him play, cancel every plan you have and go see him. He's unbelievable. Um, And his heart is the size of the world. It's unbelievable. And um, I met him in Key West. He is a blind singer-songwriter, pianist, now a guitarist. Um... He lives in Nashville, and uh, I met him in Key West at a at a party for the Songwriter Festival there, and we exchanged numbers. And when I got to Nashville, um, we started writing, and this was the third, second or third song that we wrote together. He's got a, kind of a background in jazz a little bit, and we both love that style of music, so we hit it off immediately. And um, we wrote it with Vanessa Olivares who is from a band called Granville Automatic. And they they do a lot of like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, concept records mm. where like they did a Nashville haunted record where they did songs about the haunted buildings stories in Nashville, stories about the haunted stories in Nashville, mm. which is really cool. And um, she came in with the idea, actually. Uh, Vanessa came in with the idea of we're not broken, we're just broken in. And so we talked about it for a minute and then we just started in on a groove and we just wrote it and we we as they say you write it to the wall it was just it was done you know it was one of those lyrics i think all those lyrics we didn't even write in pencil we just wrote them in sharpie pretty much you know um so yeah and as as people are listening to this too it's there's a huge pop sensibility to everything you're writing that could go oh, right thanks. you know it's, it's certainly all extremely radio friendly but for those that can't see his fingers, like definitely take a listen, listen closely. There's a lot of flourishes. Like there's some serious guitar playing. These aren't just four chord tunes. Three stuff. chords. Excuse me. They aren't it's just only three chords in this song. But but, but I, <laughs> one of the cool things about again seeing a lot of songwriters, we have a lot of great guitar players come through this room. You're you're moving all up and down the neck, almost like a like a classical guitar player with some of these things. The way that you're approaching these chords, and I think that adds a lot of color to some of these songs that would otherwise be. Um, even more straightforward. I think you're right. You know, and we wrote them like that. We, I, I think it's different when you write the song um, with those parts. You know, I, I go back to John Mayer because it's it's what I know. You know, if he if you heard him do, uh, uh, let me think of how that. Um, right. So mm-hmm. if he's if he was to play that whole part, which is still technically the same chord, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't hold nearly the weight of, uh, let's see. You know, it holds an entirely different weight when you mm-hmm. add those parts that are written in. And that's, yeah, so, anyway. Broken in. Lower than I normally sing it. Horses of goodness. <laughs> Here we go, let's see. Like a fixer-upper house becomes a home Like a brand new couch ain't right till it gets a little old And nothing ever fits as good as your favorite shoes 
Ain't never had a kiss feel like the way that you do We're not broken, we're just broken in And we're not perfect, but we get there every now and then Everybody wanna know why we keep going back again Yes, cause we're not broken, we're just broken in It's broken, broken in It's cause we're not broken, we're just broken in Yeah, yeah Some mistakes, a lot of love, that's what we're making Though the edges get rough, you know we'll take them And it might not be right right now, but be patient Cause if you find what works, why would you change it? Why would you change it? We're not broken, we're just broken in We're not perfect, but we get there every now and then Everybody wanna know why we keep going back again It's cause we're not broken, we're just broken in It's broken, broken in It's cause we're not broken, we're broken in It's broken, broken in Cause we're not broken, we just broken in yeah. And it might not be right right now, but be patient Time is gonna work it out, just keep it waiting And it might not be right right now, but be patient You be patient, no Cause if you find what works, why would you change it? Why would you change it? Oh, we're not broken, we're just broken in And we're not perfect, but we get there every now and then Not everybody wanna know why we keep going back again it's cause we're not broken, we're just broken in It's broken, broken in It's cause we're not broken, we're just broken in It's broken, broken in It's cause we're not broken, we're just broken in <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Good it was, job, it was on the rails there, but you thanks. You held I was trying to try to do some different stuff too. Oh man, that's I think that's great. The, the beauty of doing these acoustic things is like these songs are still because they're not released. They're still really kind of being birthed in a lot of ways. The arrangements are always fluid. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and I have that song recorded with a full band, and it's and it's a thing, and it's cool as heck. But it's not out yet, so y'all. I was just gonna say, where y'all don't know it, so it's good. Yeah, oh, it comes man. out January seventeenth. Okay, so you there. usually do a, a where's the capo usually because you did it in a or did you lower just key down? or did you just I, t- I tune down, a, tune a, down. A, a whole step. Gotcha. So usually it's it's a A minor, 
a key of C. Right, so, right. And right, right then it was the, the key of B flat. Yeah, yeah. And it was the key of Al. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- thanks for powering through it because that, that was great. I, th- oh, I cool. loved thanks. it, yeah. Thanks, man. It's, like it's I said, I'll send cool. you the recordings of it. Even... Some of the stuff when you were going down and hitting the... Uh, I wasn't watching your fingers, but when you're hitting the low low fretted mm-hmm. oh, the... chords, like it's an F, yeah. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good in that lower tuning. Well, and I... I th- Part of the kind of my background doing the jazz stuff mm-hmm. was I always really loved bass lines. Yeah. I've like, I'm a sucker for a really cool bass line. So, like, um, Blue Skies was always one of those. The um, Blue Skies, smiling at me. That like walking thing. Nothing but blue skies. <laughs> yeah. uh, da, da. All that. Yeah. I love that. So, it's, when I was. Speaking of Django, that's real Django y. Yeah, it can be. It can be, yeah. Um, when uh when with with broken in when we when I normally play it, it's the it's like the that's oh, sloppy, but you get kind of get the cool. point on that. It's, yeah, I love that. I don't know. People, there's a lot going on there, but I, I think too, just it's there's a lot of different approaches to recording and the way you, mm-hmm. you know you, you look at something depending on you know what you're brought up and what you, you learn first from a music perspective is what you listen to but you got an ear for it too because one of the things that i noticed what was going on with dave so you guys were in a situation where you guys knew each other you played together before you were comfortable with each other's songs and you were complimenting like you talked about earlier you were you were stepping in and there were some harmonies one of the things i noticed is hitting his second verses you were laying in bass lines on the guitar mm-hmm. which was like it changed the dynamic and all of a sudden you're in a new dynamic and a new you know, a new phase of the song that's exactly, yeah, that is, that is, yeah, that is evolved, you know, yeah. and now you've, you've added some new flavor to the listener's ear and the palate's mm-hmm. grown. So, um, that's a really important thing and you're hearing it in your own tune. That means sure. the world to me that you notice that I have to tell you, like that's no, the candy's it, the reason I do it. So it really made a difference in that room too. Did it? Yeah. Because, that's a hard room, wasn't it? Yeah. And his guitar it wasn't always always easy to hear what he was trying oh, to for such a big dude. Something. Dave's a big dude, and he yeah. was playing a traveling guild. Yeah, um, you know one Three of the quarter size they're, guild. Yeah, they're, they're, which are great guitars. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But but well, and there's there's point, like room. there's like compression and gate and stuff that we yeah. had no control over. Right. That, that squeezed the. I guess my point is that to I'm agreeing with Stefan. Like when you were laying those bass lines in, it really helped the song pop out. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Noticeably. It was like a drum set was just going to drop in out of nowhere and it was like, oh, this, this thing's ro- it's going to develop. Yeah, we're right going. Here, in front here of we us. go. Yeah, here it's coming. <laughs> and then, but on the on the flip side, when he was doing some beatbox stuff on Changed your Changed the whole game, man. It was really fun. Like, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, love we'll, that. We'll get Dave on here some He's some actually point. pretty good at that. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, he's he's further than that, man. He's unbelievable. And I think it it's wasn't <laughs> just a gimmick either. It kind of really helped propel your song in certain sections like he'd bring it in to kind of beef take, take it up a notch yeah yeah and that the, cool. the first song that i played tonight is a song called back back uh back to you and we did that the first time that we performed that was uh not long ago maybe a week two weeks maybe three weeks ago mm-hmm. and he did it the first time that we played it he did oh, that yeah. beat and i was just like that's I need it. I need it. I'm like, will you just travel around with me and do that? Well, I, yeah, I told. I was like, hey, I'm gonna record an acoustic version of this. Can you beatbox and give me a beat for it? And he was like, absolutely. So he's like, I'll travel with you, but I'm not sleeping in a twin. I ain't sleeping in a twin. No, I ain't above that. So 
Brian, you're talking about these songs are going to get released early next year, which I'm now excited about. Um, so January 17th is the release date? Is yes. that official? That uh, It's fluid. I have So I have a CD release. Um, Brian's studiously checking his calendar. Sorry, no, I'm checking. My wife's texting me. Oh, well. As you, you answer your you wife's answered. text. Yes, okay? yep. happy wife, happy life. Um, Call her up. Get her on the show here. She would. She would in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> she would totally and she'd throw me right under the bus he's not an artist <laughs> he's a hack um uh i'm sorry what was the question oh, the release. Yeah. i thought you were going to <laughs> <Yeah>. school trip <laughs> i thought you were down the street would you get the cigarettes already yeah, yeah. um so the i have a cd release january 17th in lakeland florida at a oh. venue there called union hall i'm bringing a band from nashville we're going to play the record and uh, and y'all are welcome. Please come out. Please. January seventeenth. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna be sick that day. Actually, I think. Cool. So Perfect. Yeah. I'm sick. Oh, that's that day we're both sick. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> well, just so happens on the sixteenth. <laughs> oh. Um, no, I'll be in Fort great. Myers. <laughs> so I'm assuming Lakeland because you've got a huge family and fan base there. Uh, I've well, I've got no family, but yeah, I've got I've got my friends are there, and and we've I've got a pretty decent following of really just just good people. Um, I don't know if you've ever spent any time there. Lakeland is a gem, man. This I know the, some people in that area. Yeah. They're they're just good people. It's mm-hmm. something in the water. Mercury. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not mercury. Forces you together. Forces you. No, they're just they're just good people, and they man they've they've loved me through every incarnation of music I've brought them, and uh, and have been very supportive, and I I. I just want to keep giving back. I want to keep feeding that. Yeah, we'll that's, be there, that's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, for sure. So what does that look like for you then? And and I asked this in, you're, you're still going to be in Nashville. Yeah. Are you fronting a band in Nashville right now too? Is it just a Brian Sutherland band project? Are you uh, out no, playing your stuff? Uh, not really. Um, I play writer's rounds. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the perks of playing kind of being okay at guitar is that I can go, I don't need a band to go do something. I can go do a writer's round or something and, and cover what I need to cover. But to have your songs fully realized, it really helps, and, and play yeah. those to people. So we do showcases up there. So I'll do like I'll hire a band for the showcase, mm-hmm. and we'll rehearse the the we'll rehearse the material, and I'll I'll I usually hire the same guys, so I know they kind of know what we're doing, and I'm comfortable with them. And then this trip is uh, we're playing in Fort Myers on the 16th at the Barrel Room, and then the 17th will be Union Hall in Lakeland. The 18th, we have a private thing. And then the 19th, I'm doing a house concert in Gainesville with them. And then we go back up to Nashville. So it's a quick little five-day trip, four-day trip, whatever it is, um, just to, to share the new record and to get it out into people's hands. Nice. So, so in, in any specific hopes for what that turns into? Like, do you have ambitions to go out and, and be torn as Brian Sutherland on the band or whatever whatever incarnation of the band that that takes? I, I wouldn't be against it. Like, if we – I wouldn't be against – doing like places like the attic you know mm-hmm. tampa i would love to play that attic. i think that's a great venue we'll start working on that for you i would love that the hideaway the hideaway mm-hmm. in st pete and i've played the hideaway and they're such good people um and their room is so comfortable it's just it's homey you know and i feel like that's what the attic's like or heartwood and gainesville heartwood's another mm-hmm. spot that I would, i'm trying to get into and we play a Blue Jay in, in Jacksonville. I don't know if you guys played there. Mm, I'm aware of it. We haven't played there. You need to check that spot out. Kara at Blue Jay is killing it. It's an amazing room. It's vibes for days. Um, There's a cool room, another room here, uh, the Palladium Theater. Yeah. Downstairs, the side room Okay. is nice. It's kind of cabaret style. Oh, L- all right. A little bit more capacity than the hideaway. Okay. 
but they've got a great staff and crew there and the sound is really good and nice yeah you know perfect yeah yeah no all those places i'm i'm down for kind of anything man really i i i've done a lot of touring and i've done a lot of of um travel that way i'm not too keen to get into a van for three months sure mm-hmm. not real you know at this point in my life 30 years old with a wife that i really enjoy hanging out with i i don't necessarily want to be gone that much but you know i'm open to a long weekend you know, and go go get as far as we can in a van, or fly somewhere and co- come back. Um, and I love house concerts. House concerts are my jam. Mm-hmm. So I did a my, my last record I released in 2016, and I did it was called Coming Home, and I did a tour of house concerts called the Coming to Your Home tour, <laughs> and and that was all I did for like two and a half weeks was go to people's living rooms, and it was the best it was just the the very best so i'm i'm eager to do that again i'm doing a uh, i'm doing a house concert run in texas in april that i'm really excited about through dripping springs and and through some friends so you you get lost in texas i mean it's its own it's its own dude i i love me some texas now yeah if you've never toured out there have you ever spent any time in texas uh some some but but not a ton not enough oh man it's in the water there too it's rejuvenating it's good for your soul it's and it's each part of Texas is so different. There's a lot of things that bind it together. There's it's a like lot Florida. of different parts of Texas for sure. That's a, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's true of a lot of states, but Texas is so big and sprawling. Yeah, and the terrain changes so much. I mean, Florida's mostly swamp and swamp and swamp. Yeah, it's, yeah. At, at no point in Florida can you not see fifty miles one direction. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Right, you're very right. In Texas, at least you get into like the hill country, and you're like, "Am I standing in a Norman Rockwell painting?" Like, it's it's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Where, Where are you from? I'm, I grew up about 20 minutes from here. So. What about you? I grew up about 40 minutes from here. Yeah, we're both oh, Florida boys. All right, nice. Yeah. Crackers in the home. That's crackers. correct. Yep. Three crackers. Three, yeah. Three of them. And a Florida cracker style home. Yep, box yeah. of crackers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think you, you <laughs> d- diverting from... <laughs> like, diverting from yep, snack- a box of crackers. Uh-huh. Moving on. Snack foods. <laughs> Where's the cheese? So... <laughs> You touch on something that's you know is an important thing that we've we come up upon in here, but the dream of going out on tour as a musician it, it doesn't hold the same lore that it once did for a lot of people because I think there's something you said for it. We're talking to Lydia today. Lydia's just got back from a tour in Germany. Oh um, man! And for everybody that's confused about who Lydia Luce is, go back listen to her episode if you haven't. She's amazing. Oh, go check out her stuff. Do yourself a favor. Um, she's currently she's about to go out on another tour. She was flying from West Saint Coast Pete to the West yeah. Coast. She's at, I think in San Fran they're doing another run of shows. Nice, and good for her. She's grinding it out. Yeah. You know. By the way, she does uh, from time to time. She hosts house concerts in Nashville. So. Well, yes, yeah, and well, that's she recorded. fronts she fronts the Lachlan Strings. So as yep, a, I as a celloist. Yeah, so definitely some connections. Definitely you guys need to keep in touch. But I think, you know, interested in certainly gave a little bit of your take, but just what your vibe is from other musicians that you're talking to. Like it's the more we talk to people, it's like being a songwriter publishing company, like and if you don't like crave performing, that's it. Because your stuff's getting realized, it's getting played, you're getting to write songs for a living, and you don't have to grind it out. You just go home every night at a normal time generally and but but it depends on what you want and what you strive for. And, yeah. you know, you were a musician who has a huge vocabulary of musical skill compared to other people that have not gone to music school, that haven't picked up cello or another string instrument or just playing guitar as they've picked it up through tabs, you know? Right. And so 
what the world and the opportunities for a musician look like to somebody who's got that vocabulary to somebody who doesn't are different. But were you sitting there going like, I have this dream of being a touring musician? Yeah, I, and are you still? I, I I did. You know, I very much did. I think we all dream of the seeing your name in lights and jumping up on a big stage. And at some point in your life, maybe maybe not long. But when you, and it's it's having people sing your song that you did yeah. something that meant something. To oh, somebody that you touched else. that many people. Yeah, yeah a connection in that without way. a doubt. Um, I I wanted to. I always wanted to tour as a guitar player. I always wanted to be a member of Green Day. Like that was my dream. I just I learned everything that Green Day ever did, and um, and I I wanted that. I wanted the camaraderie. I think more than anything else, playing playing a classical instrument while you're in an orchestra is a community. It's a very lonely existence because you're you're in a practice room for six hours a day by yourself, just grinding it out. And trapped in a room like that with nothing but an instrument and your thoughts is not conducive to to good thoughts. And that's just what it takes to stay competitive. Well, that's what sta- like, that's what it takes to get good at those instruments. They're hard yeah. instruments, you know. What yeah. I mean, um, uh, they're just difficult. And and any of those flute flute's one of the hardest dang instruments I've ever seen. I, for me, I can't. I played clarinet once and I made it sound like a dying goose, and I was <laughs> like, okay, I can't do this. This isn't for me, you know. Um, but I always wanted to do it. I always loved the romantic uh, aspects of, you know, let's go to the road. Let's get in a van. Let's eat dinner at a truck stop. I mean, <laughs> you know? there, is, there is a romance there is to a romance the road. To it, the, yeah. the unknown, what's coming next, yeah. and having a destination, too. Absolutely. And it's the, but it's the journey. I mean, it's, not, it's rarely the destination. It's, it's, the, it's the token. You're driving on a highway at sunrise, and you're seeing the sun rise over a cornfield. You know, that's that view of, of seeing the golden hour at 80 miles an hour. Opportunities just over the next horizon. Yeah, it's yeah. right there. It's beautiful. You know, it's, and what's more American than that? Like, sure. Um, but for me, like I, I, I did, you know, I did some touring when I was when I was in Florida, just regional touring, and it quickly realized that, you know, when you get into the car and you're in the car for six hours and the car stops and you're like, okay, where are we? And they're like, welcome to Valdosta. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, man, this is not what I thought it was. Totally. Though I will defend Valdosta. We played with Colonel Bruce Hampton. In oh, Valdosta. really? Oh, I bet that was awesome. And there's only like two bars in the whole city and the college empties out basically into those two bars. Right. It's a Mellow Mushroom and a Charlie O'Corley's. We played the Charlie O'Corley's multiple times. Some of the most fun I've ever had oh, really? on stage. But of the town... Yeah, yeah I, I crashed in a Mazda 3 in the Moe's parking lot every time I drove through there. And it was, you know, it's cool once. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's cool. Yeah, I slept in my car last night. And it was a I'm an artist, yeah. you know? This is mostly but cool. At some point, you're like, I really want a bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did that. And then I, I had a really cool I had a really cool thing happen. I played for this for a really big band for a very short period of time. And, and it was... It was eye-opening. It was like it was tour buses and planes, and it was like a big production where you had a guitar tech, and you know you showed up and your stuff was in tune. And is this the Beach Boys? Yeah, and and it was this whole deal, you know, and that was a whole other thing. And as soon as that was over, I went back to driving in my Civic or in my uh, in my Mazda, and it was. I think the the beauty and romance of it kind of wore off very quickly for me there when mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well I have to drive the next four hours or I have to sleep in my car tonight. So take your pick, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then I got really into logistics and I got really into like, okay, I can do this. 
this is the time I have to be there. This is, you know, and I can map it out a little differently than that. But I think the, the touring songwriter thing is so lonely. Um, if it was with the band, I feel like it would be, it would be better in some regards. It'd be worse in others, but I feel like the camaraderie makes that a lot more doable. Um, cause I don't want to be trapped in a car by myself for 10 hours at a time. Like that, that sucks. You no, know? I, you know, it, it's an interesting thing too. I mean, I, I have this discussion with, with, songwriters certainly just other people in relationships um and yeah going and experiencing that sunrise over the cornfield is really cool by yourself once but yeah then you want to share it with somebody yeah. like and i have this analogy if you can call it an analogy but like i feel like with experience like that the camera's running but there's no film in it and you need somebody else there with you to be the film you know so it's like yeah. somebody else to validate that that memory happened and like to share it again and like that's what keeps it alive like that that thing that was important that you shared with somebody else and that's what propels it forward and it gets to stay in existence because of it. Because otherwise, to your point, you're left in a room for six hours with an instrument running whether it really happened or not. Right, right, right. And it, and it's, uh, you lose your perspective. You lose all sense of perspective. Yeah, that's that. That's a uh, travel alone. Is that the Jason Isbell too? <laughs> there you go. You know, that's that's it. You know, I've I've been this way a thousand times. I know that this is a really beautiful drive. Whoopity do right you know? exactly yeah and yeah exactly but and and that same feeling to me is why I think for me and I don't want to project onto you but do it but on but me. I think you know going back to you, pl- playing your songs and having people clap for you and say yeah. shit, I get it validation, I get it man you yeah. validation shit okay and you're like yes okay that thing that I felt yeah. was cathartic worth the drive that, I thought was worth something or meant something these people agree and therefore I can continue to live amongst humans. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm worth it. That's really yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so what are you what are you looking forward to? What's coming up? You mentioned a CD release party. That's pretty much the next. The, the getting this record done. We're six songs, five songs in. Uh, vocals are done on everything for on five songs. Everything else is already done, and then we go into uh, adding some, I guess, like auxiliary percussion, and then some. Uh, we do mixing, stage, and mastering, and then you know just trying to get it out in January. And so, self funded. Where are you doing? That? Um, self funded. Yeah, I had a couple of help couple people help just personal friends yeah Second. Where, where are you recording um we recorded the drums and the acoustics at shoebox studios in nashville and shoebox is a really lovely little space off nolensville that the uh, the good people from the st louis cardinals own and it was a it's just a killer it's got a neve console in it and it's a beautiful sounding room and i highly recommend if you get up there and need to do some work it's great more than cracker box studios <laughs> hey um, I'm working with Sean Byrne as my producer, and Sean Byrne is actually a, an immensely talented songwriter, guitar player, musician, producer, engineer. Um, he, I met him at Dripping Springs. So the f- I met him in, in 2016 in Dripping Springs. We saw him again it, at... Uh, uh, or sorry, 2015, I met him in Dripping Springs. In 2016, I met him again, and then I saw him some point I moved and it turns out that I'm like walking distance from his house, like the <laughs> oh. smallest world. Um, he lives up the hill from me. Mm-hmm. And so now I do cello sessions for him. Whenever he has an artist over that needs cello, Fantastic. he just calls me and I, I literally walk. Um, one question we always ask everybody that we haven't asked you yet. And I feel like we need to definitely get in before we wrap here. Are you a lyrics first, a music first or a title first songwriter? Uh, I'm a yes songwriter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a lot. So Just Like Us came from an image, right, of seeing those people, and it started from that spot. 
So a t- we'll call that a, a prompt, a title. Um, sure. It, it came from the... Okay, I can see that. It came from a title. We'll call it a title. Broken In came from a hook, came from a title. Um, Darken His Soul, the song you were asking about earlier, I didn't land on that hook until I got to that hook. Mm-hmm. And and even then, it never it never felt like a strong hook. It still doesn't feel like a strong hook. But I know that the song's done, so I don't... I don't bother with it. And when you say a strong hook, a strong lyrical hook, like yeah, an yeah. idea hook. Yeah, right? like yeah. like the the um, the thing that pulls it all together. You know what I mean? And and makes the listener go, ah, oh, resolve. You know, I feel good. There's a thing called antecedent consequence where you set up that you set up the uh, um, anticipation from your listener, and then you finally pay it off late. Mm-hmm. You know, and that hook is that that it should be a it should be a an. Uh, moment for your listener and, and darkness soul ne- isn't necessarily that but i don't care it's my song and i wanted it to i, I think it's a great song i think it's a great tune too yeah, yeah. absolutely thanks man. You I, don't, to, I don't know if you have any voice left i'll try it screw it i have an appetite for songs that have a lot of mystery in them and don't necessarily resolve you know at all the prescribed moments yeah and there's a lot of happy resolve in the two that you played and a lot of the other stuff you heard this one's got more it, there's a lot of minor feel in it you know um and there is I don't want to get so on the nose of the title, but it's a darker feeling song. And I think I think the progression, this is one of those that we were talking about, how the progression can dictate a lot of ways. This song came from, it started with a musical idea. Um, it started from, and this is how I used to write a lot, was just sitting and tinkering with stuff musically until something came out you know mm-hmm. um so for this one it was uh it was going so playing around that image and then it it came to the the line and everything um but if i didn't do it like that it would end up being like isn't bad but it's not as I don't think it's as strong it's just a personal preference anyway. but, but it does have the satanic chord in it it doesn't have the satanic chord this one does actually it does it You're does right. it does <laughs> son of a bitch alright that's devil. that's why I respond to it maybe <laughs> the beast well no I mean no. <laughs> I don't think it's satanic at all I think it's tension and mystery and uh, I don't think that's satanic amen to that I think it's real life hey my man. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's called Dark in His Soul. all I can do Smoke on my fingers A fire on my lips yeah. I hit it down on a one-way south On 126 
I found you When I hit rock bottom in an old bean bottle And I found myself weary About which way to go Ain't it true That you can lead a man to water But you can't take him farther Unless he's ready to face The dark in his soul Fear fills my heart up Shaking as I lie Got everything I want here Everything but time And hands cold as winter Haze all around me Seeing life through a vignette light It's pulling me down, down, down I found you When I hit rock bottom in an old bean bottle And I found myself unweary I wish way to go Ain't it true That you can lead a man to water But you can't take him farther Unless he's ready to face The dark in his soul found you when I hit rock bottom in an old bean bottle and I found myself a weary about which way to go and ain't it true you can lead a man of water but you can't take him farther unless he's ready to face the dark in his soul found you when I hit rock bottom in an old bean bottle and I found myself unweary about which way to go and ain't it true that you can lead a man order but you can't take him farther unless he's ready to face the dark in his soul so unless he's ready to face the dark in his soul I'm not ready to face the dark in my soul Should I end it major or minor? Major. There it is. A happy resolve. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Sell out. Sell out. <laughs> How about major minor? Or minor, we could do minor major. What oh, is yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, let's minor see. major seven. Yeah, minor major seven. So we're at the end of that. Uh... This will be weird. This will feel real weird. 
Uh, we like to end these weird. That's oh. the one. <laughs> that yeah. is weird. That's the one I wanted to hear. That's the one? <laughs> I don't know. Cool. Brian, thanks so much for being here, man. Man, thank you guys so thanks much. Thanks for, for sharing me. your tunes with us. Thanks right. for doing it on, you know, what... Five gigs over the last three days? Uh, let's see. Friday, one. Saturday at 9 a.m. Saturday afternoon. Saturday late. Today at one. Today at 2.30. Six. This, so this is, count this, this is, is the seventh, yeah. And then I played on Broadway till uh, 11 o'clock Thursday night before I flew down. So You're a trooper, man. Thanks for doing nice, it. Nice, nice work, We love man. your stuff, yeah. man. We're looking forward to a release coming out. Yes. Yeah, man. I'll yeah. send you guys a copy, and you guys better be there. Uh, we'll be there, man. We're going to be there. Yeah. We'll be pumping it out, too, man. That'd be great. Yeah. I love that. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Bye. You've been listening to Song Divers. Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. As good as I've ever been, hear me settling. Little table in the back, here we go again Slow kissing, eat the neon flickery We could stay all night Cause girl, you know I'm good if you are We can bet the night on two hearts Songs we heard in this episode were Get the Chance To, Just Like Us, Broken In, Dark in His Soul, and Good If You Are, all from Brian's forthcoming new album, now slated for a March 2020 release. Hear more of Brian and stay up to date on his upcoming release by following him on the social medias. He's at Brian Suth on Instagram. That's B-R-I-A-N-S-U-T-H. And on his website, SutherlandSongs.com. S-U-T-H-E-R. L-A-N-D songs.com And if you're in or headed to Nashville and looking for someone to point you in the right musical direction or better yet lead your band get in touch with Brian to see if he's got time to add some of his musical or lyrical magic to the song you're working on right now and you'll be able to hear even more of him soon but in the meantime listen to him on Spotify iTunes and everywhere you get your music if you have a heartbeat you'll dig his catalog whether you're from the northeast southeast or the Sutherland but I couldn't help myself how's the voice feel after 17 gigs in two hours fantastic good no I'm uh we do have whiskey if that would help you know, I don't think I, I think I don't I've, know if you need any more. I have tried to remedy with whiskey far too much this weekend. Okay, I, th- I think I'm good on the whiskey remedy. My teeth are numb, so that's good. Song Divers is a production of Ebor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of Saint Petersburg, Florida.